Episode 125 of the Actors Room pays tribute to the late great master actor Sidney Poitier, who passed at the age of 94 not long ago. I hope you sit back, relax, enjoy this episode, learning more about this man, artist, and legend. Here we go. Sir Sidney Poitier. That's right. He was knighted. And of course he was. Because this guy was beyond great. Britain knew it. And the rest of the world should know it as well. The Actors Room is going to dedicate this episode to Sidney. And I got to tell you. I had only seen a handful of his films before I really dove into his lifetimes and career. Guess who's coming to dinner? Sneakers. Little Nikita, because I'm a River Phoenix fan. (laughs) I only knew a little bit of his work. And whoa. (laughs) Uh, I was blown away. I'll be honest, I'm not going to sugarcoat it. I never do on my show. And the reason why I'm doing this show is because of my admiration for this man. And not only as an actor, because he was a phenomenal actor. (laughs) Dove into directing. And the like. But as a whole. The man. The legend. uh, Was quite incredible to dive into. And uh, my mind swimming with awesomeness. (laughs) Uh, This past month just uh, uh, learning about him and falling in love with him. That's right. Jeff fell in love with Sydney. This past month. And we're going to talk about his life. And times. The boundaries he broke down. With his fists. And it's just. A greatness. So let's start where we always start. Damn it. That's right. At the beginning. What a life this guy had. He blows almost anybody that I've done in this show. Out of the freaking water. With his beginnings. And his road to stardom. Uh, He faced a lot of obstacles. And just bulldozed ahead. Inspirational indeed. Born on February 20th, 1927. Uh, The place of birth was Miami, Florida. Now, his family lived in the Bahamas. And the mom and dad, the whole family... Were tomato farmers. So they would go to Miami from time to time. To seek out customers. They weren't expecting Sydney to be born in Miami. He was three months premature. And that is a long time. And the dad. Felt that Sydney was not going to get through this. So premature. I think he was around two and a half pounds. The dad went out. Made arrangements. And bought a shoebox casket. Because he didn't think little Sidney would make it. His mom, on the other hand, was a little more hopeful. Prayed and prayed. 
that little Sydney would make it. He did. Tough guy from the start. T- tough kid. So from the very beginning, Sydney was facing the greatest of odds and coming out on top. Sydney's mother, Evelyn, went through great lengths to receive positive feedback, any positive feedback or encouragement for her young son being so premature and, and having to really fight for his life. The mother would often go to, would you say, sightseers or uh, psychics. And one of the psychics she went to said, don't worry. The young boy is going to be fine. He will walk with kings one day and be rich and famous. And the mom perked up about Sydney. <laughs> now, mind you, uh, the sightseer or psychic, and that's what they do. They, they try to tell you what you want to hear. But with Sydney and his mother, they would go through their lives sort of... Uh, Really acknowledging that part of like a vision and how it grabbed hold of how they viewed their futures. And Sydney said that he didn't uh, ignore the fact that his mom was open to uh, experiences in life, no matter if they were good or bad, they were just sort of there. Sidney would later comment how these forces of nature were always there for him to question and also to admire. They were a part of his makeup. And Sidney, of course, came from humble beginnings. The whole family was very poor. And his mother made most of his clothing from rags, uh, potato sacks. His mom would make his clothes. And because of this, Sidney was picked on relentlessly at school. Every day. And you see him in interviews. Mention this. And he closes his eyes and goes back there for a moment. We do that sometimes. And you can see how it hurt him. How when he was a child. Getting picked on like that every day. Really does make a mark on you. And it made a mark on a young Sydney. But his mom would tell him. Sydney. I get that you're down. And I get that you don't want to go to school because of the way you look. But keep in mind, most of the kids in class may have better clothes than you, but some of them don't. And we as a family are doing the best we can. We're providing you clothes, and although they have patches on them, they're clean. Mr. Poitier remembers how his mother shaped his progressions as a man and a human being. His mother once called out to Sydney to ask him a question. And Sydney snapped back with, what? Uh-oh. He was slapped immediately by his mother and told to never, ever address anyone with that attitude or simply saying, please and thank you, instead of shouting out what? And this left a mark on a young Sydney, and he used this later on in life, saying, Many doors opened for me because of saying please and thank you. And I like that. His parents taught him to be nice, to be courteous, and to have manners. Sydney was rebellious, got into trouble, uh, a lot of kids do. In the Bahamas, he would steal corn. 
I don't know. They would steal corn, burn it, and then eat it. Um, And sell some of it too. Well, the one time he stole some corn, got arrested, and spent a few hours, I think, in jail. His dad bailed him out or just came and got him and was very disappointed in his son. Uh, His dad was strict, yes. But he always wanted the best for his kids. Sidney was the youngest of seven kids. And because they were so poor, there would be days they wouldn't eat. It was decided at one point after Sidney got in trouble that his dad wanted a better life for him. And one of Sidney's older brothers, I believe the oldest, was making a life for himself in Florida. So Sidney's dad felt it would be a great idea for Sidney to go live with his brother in Florida. And this decision was tough. Sidney was the baby of the family. And the mom was sad to see him go. And Sidney remembers that the mom put on new buttons on a shirt that she sent him away with. And before she said goodbye, she buttoned up his shirt with the new buttons that she put on. And it meant a lot to both of them. And she looked up at her son and just hoped for the best. She had a a great uh, feeling inside for Sidney in his life. She felt that he would be fine, but she was going to miss him and miss him a lot. And my mom told me when I left the house, it really did crush her. And, you know, kids leaving the nest (laughs) is not easy for a parent at all, whether it's a mom or dad. And uh, seeing her son go, and he was, I believe, 14 at the time, was really hard for her to do. Sydney uh, uh, wasn't doing well in Florida from what my research tells me. He was living with his brother and his brother had six kids of his own. And Sydney felt sort of not welcome. I don't want to say that he didn't feel welcome there, but felt uh, this house is just filled with people. And I think he just wanted to break free. And mind you, Sydney is 15. <laughs> A child. Folks, 15 is a child. And at the tender age of 15, Mr. Sidney Poitier decided to leave and break out on his own. That's incredible. I broke out when I was 19. And boy, I thought I was young. Four years difference. And he didn't go to the city over. Okay, he went to New York City. He wanted to get as far away as possible from the South. So with three dollars, yes, one, two, three dollars in his pocket to New York City, he went. He said 42nd Street Times Square was so overwhelming to him. So incredible, this poor kid from the Bahamas, his parents, tomato farmers, was now in the Big Apple. He didn't know anybody, no contacts whatsoever, with very little money in his pocket. He walked up and down 42nd Street several times, taking in the city, the big buildings, the smells. Well, I would do the same thing too. 
There's something about that city, folks. There's something about New York City. It takes hold of you. Everything about it is inspirational. And Cindy experienced that. And the $3 he had in his pocket went bye-bye because he bought hot dogs and chocolate malts. <laughs> so flat broke, he had to get a job, of course. And the only job that he could find as a young black man in New York City in the mid-1940s was a dishwasher. So that's what he did. He worked as a dishwasher for about two years in New York City, struggling. And the one thing he found out the most was the winters in New York City were very harsh. (laughs) And because he didn't have any winter garments, he decided to join the army. I mean... New York City's winters was so bad that he joined the army and he hated the army and wanted to get out of there as soon as possible. They stationed him in a hospital and he didn't like the way the staff treated its patients. He didn't like the army, period, and decided it would be a great idea that in order to get the hell out of there, he was going to do something rash. He picked up a chair And threw it at one of the officers. Just missing him. The chair going through a glass window behind the officer. Of course this prompted him to be taken away. And seeking psychiatric help. He sat and talked to a psychiatrist for a few weeks. Both of them going back and forth. Learning a lot about one another. And their strife. And Sidney was of course let go from the army. A bad experience for Sydney, but an experience taking that with him and moving forward, going back to New York City in its shitty winter weather. And folks, I agree. Winters in New York are harsh. I live in Cleveland. We get shitty weather. We just got about a foot of snow the other day. Uh, New York, uh, the wind, the rain, the sleet, slush, all that stuff. It's harsh. I would get holes in my shoes because of all the walking you do in New York. Uh, Going from here to there, audition to audition, uh, restaurant to restaurant for your job. I would have holes in my shoes. And it rains in New York a lot. So I'd be walking to either class, an audition, or my job. And the streets are just wet as can be. Holes in my shoes. And my feet would just be soaking wet. So by the time I got to wherever I was going, (laughs) my feet would be soaking wet. And when that happens, they get itchy. And your feet itch for a good two hours, no matter where you end up. But Sydney, I guess, did the best he could to get used to the New York City weather. (laughs) It's hot in the summer too, man. Hot in the summer, cold in the winter. He went back to being a dishwasher. And found himself between jobs at one point. Uh, Hard up on his luck. Looking through a African American newspaper. Something caught his eye. Instead of looking for a dishwashing job. Or the like. He saw something on the other page. About somebody wanting actors. He said well what's this? He looked further down. And saw it was a theater called the Negro Theater, right? Is that right? I want to get this right. (laughs) The American Negro Theater. Thank you. Thank you. 
All right. Got it. If though, why the hell not? If I could be a dishwasher, why can't I be an actor? So he applied, went to the theater, knocked on the door. A big man, he said, answered the door. Said, what can I do for you? Sydney said, and mind you, Sydney is 17. 17. I'm here about a job to be an actor. I saw it in the paper. Can I come in? <laughs> the guy says, sure, come on in. Let's do an audition. When Sydney went in on the stage and did his audition for this man, the man handed him a scene. And Sydney couldn't read very well. Stumbled with the words, reading slow. The man got so annoyed. <laughs> he literally took Sydney by his collar and dragged him to the door. Said, why are you wasting my time? If you can't read, you have no business being an actor. Why don't you just go ahead and get a job as a dishwasher and just leave me alone? Ooh, man, did this hit Sydney right where it hurts. He felt, how did this man know that I'm a dishwasher? Do I reek of it? And is that my, my, my top, my, my, my ceiling? That I'm just going to be a dishwasher for the rest of my life. Walking out of that place, he said he stood in the street. Looked down. Feeling a little, you know, defeated. And he got expired as well. He said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to prove to that guy. That MFR. That I could be an actor. He now had a goal. To get out of the shit. First off, he was going to try to shed his thick accent. Okay, he would listen to the radio. And mimic whatever the radio was giving him. To change his accent. And by God, he was going to learn how to read. He was working at a restaurant. And there was a Jewish waiter that helped him learn how to read. Every night after their shifts, this Jewish waiter would sit with Sydney in a booth and teach him how to read. And Sydney says he wished he could have looked this guy up down the road and thanked him. He goes, if it wasn't for that guy... <laughs> I wouldn't be where I am today. He taught me how to read. And as an actor, you got to know how to read. He said, as a man, you got to know how to read. And this man helped me. It was the very first step on his journey to become one of the greatest actors we've ever seen. Sydney is one of the greatest actors I've ever seen. He studied hard on his accent. He studied hard to read. And when he had the courage, he went back to that theater and said he wanted a new audition. He said he didn't see the big guy the next time he auditioned. <laughs> he said, thank God. Did the audition. Thought he did fine. Didn't get in. He was a bit crushed, yes. But hopeful. At least he got an audition and he got through it. A stepping stone. He would hang around the theater. Trying just to be a part of it. Walked up to one of the people that worked there. 
and said, I want to be a part of this theater so bad. I'm willing to be a janitor here. I will work as a janitor if I could just be in the building. And I like bringing up stories that pertain to this. These actors or artists that are willing to do anything. And I mean anything to be a part of this world. It goes to show just how dedicated they are and willing to do anything to make their dreams come true, to, to be something. And Sydney said, I'll push a broom around. I think Christopher Walken did the same thing. Just to be in the building. They were so impressed by this action, this act that Sydney did, the higher ups in the theater, directors. But look at this kid. He's willing to do anything to be here. Uh, that's somebody you want. And they accepted him into the program. Uh, the theater had classes that you could take. And that's what Sydney really wanted to do. He wanted to learn. He felt, I just can't get up on stage to be an actor. I got to learn how to do it first. And he became part of the class. He struggled like any actor does. And that's the great ones that struggle right away. Sydney did. And the teachers and directors did not want him to return for the next year. His classmates defended him, stuck up for him, went to the directors and said, give him one more chance. He's such a great kid. He's such a good kid. And you know how freaking bad he wants it. <laughs> I mean, give him one more chance. Directors said, fine, we're going to give him an understudy role. He was an understudy for Harry Belafonte. And I think we all know who that is. Another wonderful African-American artist. He was a part of that school too. So Sidney was an understudy to Harry. So Harry, of course, couldn't make one of the productions. Sidney stepped in and did such a marvelous job on his first performance as an understudy to Harry Belafonte that one of the people in the audience was the casting director and loved Sydney. That's all it takes, folks. All you actors out there struggling, thinking, I'm never going to make it. Nobody's ever going to see me. If you're out there doing something, it could be anything. Do something. Be in a off, 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 off Broadway play. If it's something... Uh, even just five people are seeing. Guess what? Five people are seeing it. It's better than zero. So this one casting director liked him so much, he wanted him to be in his next stage play. It was off-Broadway, but it was Broadway. He was so nervous. And the role, so small. He only had a few lines didn't matter. Sydney found a way to forget his lines. <laughs> he completely went there. And it happens. You go blank. You, you can learn your lines all month long and, and you know them backwards. You can recite them in your sleep. And then you step on stage and <laughs> a wall hits you and it hits your face and you cannot see anything. You don't feel anything. Uh, everything is gone. It's like a blackboard was erased. 
And he, uh, uh, his mouth was wide open and the fellow actors on stage with him were in horror. (laughs) Terror. They all started to laugh, including the audience. And this, of course, led to improv and created more of a laugh. Now, mind you, Sidney failed there uh, on stage forgetting his lines. But he did what any great actor does. Is that you do something. You don't run off the stage. (laughs) You stand put. And you try to make the best of it. He did that. Was crushed at the fact that he let his co-stars down. His teammates. And was embarrassed. Felt I'm done. I'm never going to be an actor. Uh, They're laughing me off the stage. This is horrible. Uh, He left the production. He went off. And felt I'm never acting again. Until the reviews came in. The critics hated the show. But there was only one thing they liked. Sidney Poitier. They felt he was unbelievably funny. And he brought something new to the play. I guess the play was horrible. And Sidney was the best thing about it. And I find this great because it was off script. <laughs> Some of the best stuff happens when you're off script. It's new. It's improv. It comes from you. It's it's natural. It's moment to moment. It's the way it should be. It's hard to nail scenes moment to moment in written text because they're not your words. You're trying to say someone else's words the best you can, trying to find out what's inside the author's head. You don't really know. You try to do the best you can and make it yours. Sydney made it his. And because of the positive reviews, felt, okay, I'll stick with acting. Doors opened for the young man. And he was serious but playful. Open to new ideas. The guy had high principles, too. He was actually offered a very good role in a film. Mind you, he didn't have an agent yet. But the casting director... Wanted him for a project. He said, read the script. Sidney took it home. Hated it. It was about a janitor. And the janitor uh, loses his, I think his son or daughter. One of his kids was killed. And his character sort of doesn't do anything about it. And just sort of lets it uh, go. And Sidney said, I can't portray this character. I just can't do it. For me, that doesn't exist in my mind. How can I play it if I don't see it? And the casting director went, wait a minute, wait a second. <laughs> How much work are you doing right now, Sydney? How much money are you making in the theater? And Sydney said, not much. I haven't worked in a few months. He said, you have a young family, don't you? Yeah, by the way, Sydney got married, had a few kids, and struggled like any young artist. And Sydney said, yeah, we're struggling. So why don't you take this? It's going to pay $750 a week. And at that time, late 40s, early 50s, that was a lot of money. He could have used it. He had such high principles, such high respect for his parents. Because he felt, I was raised a certain way that I would be sort of, I don't know, disrespecting my parents if I took this role. And he didn't take it. 
His family would have been taken care of during that time in his life. But he would rather struggle in his life than take a role felt wasn't right for him. And something he just, he couldn't do. The casting director was blown away. I can't believe this guy. <laughs> what's, what's with this guy? The casting director had this, this, these thoughts going through his head. Like, I've never uh, heard of anything like this before. Let alone witness it. That this young man would turn down a good role that paid great money. So months later, this casting director, still thinking about this, called up Sydney, had him come into his office, sat him down and said, Sydney, um, how you doing? <laughs> Sydney said, I'm doing okay. I haven't got an acting job in months. Do you have something for me? Better than that janitor uh, role that you're going to do for me? And the, the casting director turned agent at the time said, I've been thinking about you a lot. And how you turned down that role. I, I, I just can't get over it. You're crazy. <laughs> and Sydney said that might be. But that's just who I am. And the agent said. You're so crazy. And the situation's so crazy. And you with such high morals. There's no way in hell. I can let you walk out of this office. Without me representing you. I feel I would be missing out on something special. Sydney was a very special man. High principles. Great morals. A, a respect for his parents. Sort of like Ed Harris. An episode I did not that long ago. Same thing here with Sydney. High respect for his parents that loved him very much. They disciplined him when needed. Kids need both. Kids need love. And kids need discipline. Sydney said his mom would smack him around. But she did for a reason. <laughs> uh, it, parents smack their kids around when they deserve it. When the, you know, the message isn't getting across. Wake up. Whoa. Hey. <laughs> okay. Gotcha. Gotcha. I, I just want to quickly backtrack and let you know that I kind of threw in that Sydney was married with kids at a certain time. And um, there's a reason why I sometimes don't dive into families or things like that. For Sydney, uh, he was such a great father um, that I felt I didn't need to talk about marriages. He had a few marriages. Uh, it wasn't a highlight for me with his love affairs and things of that nature and his kids. They're all fine. He was a good man, a great father. Uh, he raised his kids well. And I just wanted to point that out before I move on talking more about his career. This new agent, being a big fan of Sydney, got him his first movie role. It, this was significant because Sydney was working. <laughs> uh, Sydney was struggling so much as an actor at one point. He tried to open up a barbecue place with his friend, a barbecue restaurant. And uh, a quick note is that Sydney is very observational on where he was in New York City. His mind goes back in time and he can remember uh, what corner street he was on at like any given moment in his life. He would be like, I was on 160th and uh, Broadway. 
I don't know if that exists or not. 106th and Broadway. And he was a big fan of Harlem. And he just knew every single nook and cranny of Harlem. Um, I was in Harlem a few times. We looked at a, a place there. Um, and, uh, you know, I, the, the young little white boy that I was, I know. Um, uh, Harlem was Harlem, you know. And there's a lot of culture in, in, in Harlem. It's a great place to visit. Take a look at. I don't know how it is now. In the late 90s, I would go audition and also uh, go over lines with one of my classmates that lived in Harlem. And the great thing about New York is all of the different cities and boroughs there and all the history, the different kinds of history that you can learn, experience, just uh, take in. And Sydney love that about New York and Harlem. All right. Let's get back to the first film that Sydney did called No Way Out in the year it was 1950. Folks, man, the 50s, the 40s and 50s was such a glorious time in American culture for me. The, the cars, okay, uh, the, the attire, the way of life, everything, the music, aye. If there was a time machine, I would go back to either the 40s or the 50s. Of course, I don't want to be in World War II. I don't want that. Uh, I just want to walk the streets. Any street in America in the 1940s or 50s. Even for, for a few minutes would be, ah, I would love it. But here's Sydney in 1950 getting his first movie role, No Way Out. And he said his parents were just blown away by the fact that their child was in a movie. And his parents had never, ever seen a movie before. So he was honored to have them come watch him. And he hadn't seen them in eight years. Sydney felt so ashamed that he couldn't send his parents money from America. He said that, uh, kids that ventured off to America from the Bahamas would always write to their parents and send money with them. Sydney was so poor, he couldn't send money to his parents. And he was embarrassed to even see them. So for eight years, he hadn't seen them until he broke out in the movies. No way out. He plays a doctor in 1950. His castmate Richard Winmark said, that he was very uncomfortable with some of the racist comments that his character would say to Sidney. He's like, it's just not right. It's venomous, he said, because he was so close to Sidney. His salary for this movie was $7,500. And that is not bad for 1950. Then came Blackboard Jungle. And the year on this one is 55. His next big film. I watched this last night. It was okay. It was my least favorite Poitier film that I've seen. I'm not saying it was bad. I'm just saying it wasn't like his other ones. The ones that blew me away. Uh, his performance was fine. Uh, a young Vic Morrow is in this. I found that interesting. Uh, Glenn Ford. Who is a fine actor. But he was very good in this. I just, there was something lacking with Blackboard Jungle. I don't know what it was. Maybe it just wasn't. 
It wasn't realistic enough for me. Maybe. Is that it? Uh, I, maybe the director didn't do a good enough job in making me really root for any of the characters. It just, it, which was strange because with this type of movie, it's about a teacher in a really bad neighborhood in a school. Uh, the kids are unruly and he tries to tame them and becomes friends with Potier's character. I don't know. I'm wondering if there's any notes in here I'd like to mention about Blackboard Jungle. Let's take a look. No, not really, which is fine. We'll just put that over there. I don't want to get too much more into that. I'm not going to waste any more time. We're going to move on to the next project that, uh, whoo, yeah. Woohoo. This next one got me all excited. I'm looking and reading up on Sydney, trying to watch everything I can. And I come upon this one. 1957. Edge of the City. You can watch it on YouTube. Thank God. He stars alongside one of my personal favorite artists of all time, John Cassavetes. And I, I was like, you got to be kidding me. There's a movie in 1957 with John Cassavetes and Sidney Poitier. Thank you, God. Thank you. <laughs> I felt like God smiled on me that day when I found this out. I went, it was a few weeks ago. I go, oh, <laughs> I couldn't wait to see this film. Wasn't disappointed. Of course not. These two guys, young in their careers, acting their asses off. Oh, it was wonderful. I loved the movie. The fight scenes were a little ridiculous. The choreography. My wife and I were kind of laughing about it. By the way, my wife, Amy, loves Sidney Poitier. Loves. I'm watching, yeah, I'm studying him. She goes, I like this guy. I really like this guy. I said, I know, right? I mean, he's amazing. He's like, what is it? I'm going to tell, okay, let's dive into this right fucking now. Excuse my language. Talking about his acting. This is the actor's room. What is it about this guy? He's engaging. He's fun to watch. His uh, personality, you could tell, just his natural personality comes through. And... He's fun to watch because he's a great guy and it comes through and he and John Cassavetes in this movie, they're just, you know, what is about Cassavetes too? Like he has great chemistry with, uh, his co-stars. And I think it's because John, he gets to know his co-stars. He gets to know people on set. It's like a family. That's what John loved to do. And I think him and Sydney just, they, they were buddies. And that's what the movie is all about. Friendship. And how you should defend it. The friendship is rocky in the beginning between John and Sydney, But it just, they become such great friends. And at the end, you get to see uh, what John, uh, or how he felt about Sydney. Mm. Great stuff. And I'm thanking the Lord above that uh, the Lord <laughs> let Sydney and John share the screen for me to see. What an honor it was for me just to watch that. I, I felt so blessed to watch it. I know it sounds stupid, but to me, it's not. I was just, 
like, okay, here we go. I sat down with a smile on my face and just enjoyed Edge of the City, 1957. Two titan young actors, artists, doing their thing in black and white. Oh, yeah. I want to mention this. At one point, either after Blackboard Jungle or Edge of the City. I think it was after Blackboard Jungle. A very successful film. Although I didn't love it. It was a fine film. And Sidney got great reviews. I mean, his career's taken off. As an African-American actor, I mean, he's flourishing. Uh, there are people in the business, they want to work with this guy. He decides, Sidney decides, his acting isn't good enough. <laughs> he's not reaching the heights he feels he can reach. So what does he do? Tell you what he does. He goes back to acting school. Thank you. I was talking to my friend, fellow actor, not that long ago. And we were talking about acting school. And he's going on and on and on about how acting school is just stupid. Because uh, it's, you know, not everybody needs to go. And I agree. But it's not stupid. There's a reason we have acting schools. Or any school, for that matter. There are some artists that need it. And these schools are there for them. Other actors or artists learn by doing. You just go out there and you do it. You don't need a school. That's fine. But there are others like Sydney that needed that comfortable atmosphere to try new things, to, to gain more confidence, to garner more technique. There is nothing wrong with that. And that's what Sydney did. Here's a successful actor, young in his career, doing fine. And feels he needs more study. This is an artist that knows what the hell is going on. And knows himself so well. That he couldn't continue further. Until he did the certain thing. No matter what it was. And for Sidney. It was getting his ass back into class. With teachers. Fellow students. And doing their thing. Next up, The Defiant Ones. Good, great, phenomenal movie. The first time a black actor and a white actor coexist in leading roles in film history. He stars alongside Tony Curtis. And they danced along together. And I mean that in acting terms. They danced together beautifully. It was a physical role for both of them running around. Uh, it's a, uh, they're criminals. Uh, they're, they were being transported in a bus with a bunch of other criminals handcuffed to one another. Sydney and Tony are handcuffed in the bus being transported as criminals. The bus overturns and they're able to escape. So it's a black man and a white man. <laughs> and this uh, movie took place in 1958. 1958. And uh, I, I like in, in the film, in the beginning of the film, 
the authorities, the cops, they're all getting together talking about, you know, what are we going to do here? How are we going to get these guys? You know, one of the cops is on the phone with the governor and the governor's like, I wouldn't worry too much about finding them. And they're like, what are you talking about? We got to go after these two. And the governor's like, well, uh, they're a black guy and a white guy, right? They're not going to get very far before they kill each other. <laughs> oh, buddies. It, the film's good. It really is. Uh, like I said, you know, Tony Curtis, one hell of an actor. I haven't watched a lot of his stuff. I haven't, to be honest. And his career seems scattered to me. A lot of success early in his career, but not much in his golden years. Okay. Um, but this, 1958, The Defiant Ones. A movie to take note of. Watch it. Oh, watch it. Enjoy it. Sydney. Tony. Woo. Wonderful. Uh, okay, before I move on uh, to another project, a few notes about The Defiant Ones. Famous African-American author James Baldwin mentioned something very interesting. Uh, one of his observations about this movie. He went and saw it twice. Two separate theaters. Uh, this African-American author, Baldwin, went and saw this movie in a black theater with, of course, black attendants. And then he saw it in a white theater with all white attendants. And he got, of course, a different reaction in one of the moments in the film. The moment where Sydney gets onto the moving train and Tony Curtis isn't on the train. He's running, trying to get on the train with Sydney. Sydney reaches his hand out and they, they actually get their hands entangled. And, he, it, it, and you're, it's an intense part in the movie. You're like, come on, grab it, you know. Bring them on board because at one point they become friends. Of course, you know, they struggle, they don't like each other, and then they become buddies. Of course, I mean, you know how this movie's gonna pretty much end up. But, anyways, you're rooting. As a white man, I was rooting for Sydney to pull Tony up and they could get away together on the train and they live happily ever after. Right? I was cheering for them. And that's, I guess, what happened in the white theaters. They were sort of like, yeah, come on, get him. You know, bring him up. Not in the black theaters. Baldwin said when he went to see it in the black theater, they didn't want Sydney to pull up Tony. They were saying, oh, leave him behind. <laughs> hey, 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 reactions, right? It's, these are two different cultures here, folks. <laughs> okay. And I get it. Uh, at that point in history, the black man, black woman, a black child, okay, the way of life that they had and the way white people treated them at that time, today too. Okay. We're not out of the woods yet, folks. We're not. Okay. But I mean, that's uh, interesting. <laughs> Are you surprised at that? That that's the way a black audience reacted to it. I mean, I get it. But interesting, right? 
Sydney was also the first black male actor to be nominated for any acting category of the Academy Awards, earning him a Best Actor nomination for his role in this film. Well deserved. And Tony Curtis insisted that Sidney Poitier receive top billing. Let me go Tony. He deserved it. Again. Uh, any other notes about uh, this movie before I move on? Uh, yeah, I mentioned before. The physicality of both these actors. They did most of their stunts. Uh, there are a few stunts they didn't do. Uh, like when they're in the water. There were a few uh, stuntmen in the water. But for the most part. Those two guys, they did a hell of a job in just using their physicality and bring it to the role. Uh, they really did get the shit kicked out of them. They really did. I guess Elvis Presley wanted the role that went to, of course, Tony Curtis. He was hoping to co-star with Sammy Davis Jr. What a different movie that would have been. Whoa. Uh, folks, I could come right out and say that. It would have been horrible. I made up a new word. A horrible. I think Tony and Sydney did a fine job. And that's how we're going to end this episode of the Actors Room. I wanted to get it all into one part. It's not going to happen with Sydney. I'm going to break it down. Break it up. Haven't done that in a long time. There's going to be two parts to Mr. Poitier. He deserves it for sure. And that's the third time in about 10 minutes I said deserves. By God. By God. What an actor. And we're going to get more into the man. I like to do this in my show. The actor's room. We not only talk about their work. Which with Sydney was extraordinary. But we got to talk about them as people. Because guess what? They were people. <laughs> Maybe not like you and me. Okay. Sydney went through a lot more bullshit than I could ever imagine. But it shaped him into not only being a great man. But it shaped him into being one of the greatest actors we have ever seen. Not only one of the greatest African American actors. But actors. Upon all ethnicities. But he had a way about him. A way. And. I was speechless. Watching him. And then. I go on and I just watch this guy. In interviews. And he's got a book too. I'm right in the middle of too. And. I, so. Maybe it's a great thing. I'm splitting this up. I'm going to find out more. About this guy. It's going to be. Just wonderful to. Can I just absorb all that stuff and try to give a good show next time? So, thank you for listening. I hope everybody's doing great. I'm doing fine. The holidays were the holidays. It's a new year. Wow. And I was really sick through the whole holiday season. I don't know if I had COVID. I don't know. I mean, I've had the vaccinations. I got through it. Um, but yeah, for about three weeks, man, I was not well. Well, whew, struggling, you know, but I feel so much better now. I feel just amazing. I feel really good. Been getting a lot of rest, taking in a lot of Sidney Poitier movies. You have no idea. Can't get enough of this guy. Can't get enough. And uh, I hope that all you out there 
are taking in all the wonderful art that's out there, all the great shows that are out there. There's so many that you could pick from, and in, in the performances that you can uh, admire, um, the not only the characters but the actors. You know, if you have a favorite actor, look them up, see what they're doing right now. They might be in a show and you love them. Uh, there's an actor, Alan Ruck. He was in Ferris Bueller's Day Off. Played uh, Ferris's friend Cameron. His name's Alan Ruck. I really like him as an actor. He's from this area. He's from Parma. He went to Parma Senior in the early 70s. So I sort of kind of follow his career. Because he's a local guy for me. And I wanted to see what he was doing right now. And he's in a show called Succession. I said, I've never heard of this show. This was like a year ago. And I've been watching Succession. Great show. And I found it because of an actor I follow. That's it. So look up an actor. Any actor that maybe you haven't heard from in a while. That sort of thing. And you may find something new. And although Succession is a well-known show, I didn't know about it. (laughs) There's so many shows out there. That's the point. It's so saturated. And it's such a wonderful time to be an actor. All the opportunities out there for you young actors or maybe you're listening to this show thinking about it. You came across my show like been thinking about being an actor. Oh, it's a great time with social media and how you can just uh, uh, promote yourself. How wonderful. I didn't have that back in the 90s. Internet was just coming around. Uh, no clue. <laughs> no clue. There were chat rooms and stuff like that, but I... We didn't promote ourselves in that way. I mean, think of all the social media right now. You can get your face out there, start a YouTube channel, do demo reels, get yourself out there. See if you like to perform. My best advice is to do a show. And I know it's tough right now with COVID, but just try to do something. Get your feet wet. See if you like it. You'll be amazed at what you'll find out about yourself Doing something new. Broadening your mind. Your horizons. That's what Sidney did. Sidney had no clue. He wanted to be an actor. He loved film and things like that. But he didn't know it until he did it. And he fell in love. And realized he was pretty good. And boy he was. Thanks again. This is the Actors Room. My name's Jeff Tarowski. Be sane. Be safe. God bless you. Tune in next time. Have a good one.